Broadcasting live from the Raiders practice facility at the Intermountain Healthcare Performance Center. This is the premier destination for an inside look into the Las Vegas Raiders. You're in the huddle with Vinny Bonsignor. Presented by Tequila Embajador. Right back out to the Raider Nation listener line. Captain Kirk wants to talk about the Raiders, the offensive line, and a new tackle that just hit the market by way of the Washington football team. What you got, Captain Kirk? Hey, good afternoon. How are you? Good, man. Thank you very much. So you have the question, at what price would you consider him? Morgan Moses, uh, released today by the Washington football team. Uh, No doubt he's a good player, uh, without question. Um, But, you know, if I'm the Raiders right now, you just invested the 17th pick overall in Alex Leatherwood from the University of Alabama. There's high hopes for Alex. I think that they're going to roll with Alex Leatherwood right now. Um, You know, I guess, theoretically, you could go out and try to see what uh, Morgan Moses is going to cost. And then maybe you kick Alex into guard. That's there's always been talk about uh, Leatherwood uh, being a better guard prospect than he was a tackle prospect. Uh, I guess that might be something that the Raiders would consider. But I think uh, Q right now with OTAs, and thankfully there really are OTAs, uh, not just this week, uh, but that phase three is is looming next week, and then a mini camp that follows right after that. You'll you should get a pretty good idea right now of Alex Leatherwood, and that should dictate whether or not. The Raiders think they even need to go out in the open market to try to address right tackle. Yeah, exactly. I mean, they drafted him to be a tackle. You know, Mike Mayock said that right after they yep. drafted him. He's supposed to be a tackle. They're hoping that he, he holds that position down. And if not, then maybe they kick him inside. But if you go and make a move for Moses, and I saw when he got released today, it did go through my mind, like, wow, that could be some good depth. But I feel like if you make that move right now, it almost tells Leatherwood that we don't really believe in you as a tackle and I think that that's bad for a guy's psyche and and I know it's competition I know it's it's all good you know that these guys are grown they're getting paid but I do think it sends the message that they don't want to send right now you know what I mean so I think they should give give Leatherwood an opportunity to, to hold that spot down like they said they were going to do yeah, I agree. And uh, again, this is why OTAs are, are really important. Um, you get a chance to really get an up-close look at your team. Um, you know, I can remember, I talk about this a lot when, you know, the, the covering the Rams, they changed over to Sean McVay. And remember they had that uh, offensive tackle, Greg Robinson, who just yep. was the second pick overall. Uh, it wasn't working. They tried to move him to guard during OTAs uh, after the new staff got into town. And three days later, they released him. <laughs> so they, they, this, the, the staff got a chance to look at him in OTAs. They were giving him one last chance uh, to, to play a position for them. It didn't work. They released him. So that's why this is so important, this evaluation uh, period, uh, Q. And, and what, I, yeah. what I find um, really important right now, if I, especially I can't wait to – I wish I was a fly on the wall right now or out there in practice to be able to watch what's going on at cornerback. Um, you know, with Hayward, with Damon Arnett, with Amik Robertson now uh, competing for the slot cornerback uh, uh, position. It's just so interesting to me how that's going to play out. Yeah, you know, and, and what I found to be interesting is what John Gruden said to Eric Allen the other day. I thought that that was really some good stuff, and it was great to hear those two guys talking ball back and forth. And obviously Eric Allen, a longtime Raider, uh, you know, after being a 10-year veteran already in the league with the Philadelphia Eagles, but he said that, you know, they needed Hayward to be Eric Allen, you know, show the young guys how to be a pro, what it looks like, how it sounds, how you prepare yourself game day, how do you prepare yourself during the week. 
he mentioned that, and I thought that that was really telling. And even said to the point that when they drafted Charles Woodson and C. Wood really didn't know what to do, and he was just kind of going out there trying to make all the plays, Gruden said, hey, look at Eric Allen. Just pay attention to what he's doing, and, and, and you'll, you'll get it right. And then, obviously, we know how the story ends with Charles. I mean, he ends up being a, a Hall of Famer. But uh, I think that that's interesting because he has the opportunity to go out there and play and hold down that position knowing that Gus Bradley defense, but he also has an opportunity to grab the, the young guys by the neck and say, hey, this is what you need to do. And I mean in a, in a very respectful way, but go just grab them and lead them in the right direction. Say, this is what it needs, to, what you need to do if you want to be a pro and a very long, uh, good pro for a very long time in this league. Yeah, you know, listening to you talk about that, Q, I'm, I'm just thinking about this time last year, literally, and some of the conversations that I was having uh, with folks, because there weren't OTAs this time last year. Uh, right. That was all wiped out. And, you know, this was not, you know, three or four months down the line and in retrospect or anything like that, but this was in real time. And, and one of the things that, you know, the messages that I kept getting back were, got a lot of young players on this team. This is going to hurt. <laughs> you know, this is going to hurt. And it wasn't being said uh, in a way that made, you know, trying to make any excuses. It was just the reality of the situation. There was a real understanding that, especially defensively, so many young players were being relied on last year, whether you were talking about first or second year players, that if you understand football and you understand the process and development process and what this time of year really means. Yeah, you win games, obviously, in September and October and November. That's when you win games. But you put together teams this time of year, and not having that at the time was being looked at as, Ugh, this is going to rear its ugly head at some point. There was a real understanding of that. I never took it as an excuse, though, Q. No, 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 and you can't. And that's something that every team had to deal with across the league. Now, every team wasn't as young as the Raiders, but – it's still an issue that they had to deal with. They didn't have OTAs. They didn't have a regular offseason, uh, you know, regular training camp or any of that stuff. I mean, it was just kind of like, hey, you just throw it into the fire. And the thing about it is, and when really when Gruden mentioned Charles Woodson, it really caught my attention because we all know how great Charles Woodson ended up being. But all young players want to do what when they get to the league? They want to make a big play. They want to make multiple big plays. They want to show that they belong. So that's why he's talking about Charles Woodson was trying to to jump every cover two route when that's not even what he's supposed to be doing, but he was trying to because he wanted to make every big play. So I think back to a Damon Arnett. I think of a Johnson Abram trying to make that big play instead of just making the right play. That's what Bradley's going to have to do. Gus Bradley's going to have to teach these guys, and Casey Hayward's going to help teach these guys to make the right play, which could turn into the big play without just going and looking for the big play, which ends up being the, the big play for the opposite team. Yeah, and, you know, to the listeners, put yourself in these young players' shoes. I mean, getting here isn't the key. Staying here is always the key. Dang. And how do yep. you do that? You do it by what, what, what Q was just talking about, making an impact, opening eyes from the get-go. And sometimes what gets lost in that is they just want you to do the right thing. They want you to be a professional. They want you to be doing the right thing in the weight room, eating, um, uh, communicating with your teammates, showing up on time, being present during film work. When you're on the field, just doing your job. Obviously, playmaking is you know a key and, and supreme. But the plays will come if you're in the if you're where you're supposed to be doing what you're supposed to do. The plays, the big plays, will come. Yeah, no, they will. And the thing about it is what they want you to do is make sure that when the game is on the line, you know where Travis Kelsey is. 
You know what I mean? So when he catches the touchdown pass in the end zone to win the game for the Chiefs, <laughs> it, you don't have Damon Arnett looking at Jonathan Abram who's looking at someone else who's looking at someone else saying, what happened? Where were you at? You've got to know that where you're supposed to be to make the right play, which ends up being the big play, which would seal the deal. You know what I mean? So that's, that's the thing. It's just the understanding of the game. And I think a guy like Casey Hayward can kind of bring a little bit of a, a, a soothing factor, you know, a, a guy that a, a little bit of confidence, a guy that can tell the rookie, hey, or the second-year guy in this instance, hey, settle down, don't worry about it. That big interception that you're looking to make and that, that pick six that you really want or that big blow-up hit that you want, you want to show this guy not to come across the middle, that will come in time. You've just got to get the fundamentals down. And you know what else it is, Q? Uh, it really is chemistry and trust and all that and, under, yep. and, and, and knowing your teammates. Um, yep. You know, because, uh, look, you're going to break off and go try to make a play sometimes. That's just the natural instinct of a great athlete, of a great football player, is to go see something and go make that play. But Bill Cowher used to talk about this all the time, about how Troy Palomaro was, 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 you know, known for doing that. But what was not known was that sometimes he was doing something against what the game plan was or his responsibilities were. And it doesn't work all the time unless you have somebody that's playing alongside him that understands that about him and reads it and sees it and then is able to go cover for whatever hole he's leaving on the field. That becomes – and again, we're talking about OTAs right now. Things like – that's where that trust, that chemistry starts to form is literally right now. Yeah, and the thing about it is I'm glad you brought up Paul Amalu who also is a Hall of Famer. Uh, Think about this. You know, with Gus Bradley being the defensive coordinator, you know who else did that? Earl Thomas did that really, really well. He was a really good freelancer. Let's just put it like that. He freelanced a lot. But he also had Cam Chancellor that could kind of back him up. And he also had Richard Sherman that knew, okay, if this is going on, if Earl's going to make this move, I'm going to go make this move. And also, Earl did that for the DBs, too. Earl would clean up a lot of the mistakes that a Sherman might make or someone on the other end, on the other side might make because he was able to recognize that they were all in sync with each other. And the only way you get that is being on the same page and working with each other and being almost like best friends on and off the field. You, you've got to know. The right hand's got to know what the left hand is going to do. And that's the key. That's what these guys need to do. That's the kind of continuity that they need to build. And that is not there yet. But when it gets there, you'll see a better product, on the, especially on the defensive side of the ball. Yeah, and, you know, on top of that, you know, and, and I'm just – as you're talking, I'm kind of revisiting uh, plays from last year that I remember and moments from last year, especially, you know, the Raiders defensively, and just so many times that there just appeared to be a disconnect and on that defense. And, and some of it was – what what we're just what we're talking about right now uh, a lack of familiarity between those players um they were a lot of them were coming from all different places young players uh trying to find their own footing and and doing that in a collective manner it's a lot harder than people think it is sometimes especially when you you know you're trying like you said trying to make your mark uh but you have to make that mark fitting into a whole concept and a whole scheme and 10 other players and it sometimes takes a little while uh, to to get there so some of it was that, but I also felt, Q, um, there were just too many times where you're wondering was the messaging getting to, you know, from the coaching staff. I, and I, right. I, I, there were times, Q, when I was wondering, is the messaging getting there from the, from the defensive leader to his position coaches, let alone then from them to, to the players? I just felt like there was something that wasn't 
necessarily kosher with all that, with that whole chain of command and that teaching and the, the filtering down from coordinator to position coaches to players. Which ultimately led to Paul Gunther getting fired. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I mean, that's, that's basically what ended up happening is, you know, he ended up getting fired because that communication was cut off. And once you lose the ear of your players, then, then that's when you're in trouble. You know, as long as they're still hearing and understanding the message and, and your position coaches, then you're good. But the minute that it's just, you know, you tell, you tell a, a certain player what to do and they just think, man, that guy doesn't know what he's talking about. I'm going to go out and do what I, I, I do. And you can see it. It's not like it's something that has to be said. You see when a player is just out there doing their own thing uh, because they think that they know better than the guy who just set them up in position. That's when the ear has been lost of the player, and that's when the coach is, is in trouble. You know, And so I think that and it's been well documented that Paul Gunther's scheme and the game plan was so wordy that guys were kind of lost from the jump, even though they might not have said, hey, coach, we don't get this the way you're, you're making it too complicated for us. They might not have came out and said that, but you could tell by the way that they played. And a guy that me and you talk about all the time is Corey Littleton. It just looked like he was thinking about what he was supposed to be doing instead of just going out like he was with the Rams and just reacting and just going play free because he knows how to do it. That's another key for Gus Bradley and company. Just how do you get these guys to not – think all the time. Just go out there and play. Yeah, and I get the sense uh, from Gus Bradley and talking to uh, you know people that know him, worked with them, played for him. Uh, he, he stresses teaching and listening, and that's a huge part of the deal. I remember asking Sean McVay, because his players used to tell me, he lets us talk to him. Whether he's really listening or not, he gives us that voice and you know, earnestly listens. And I asked him, like, why, why is that so important to you? A lot of coaches, because literally, Q, some players would say to me, and I would say to them, well, shouldn't that always be the case? And they kind of pat me on the back. You're so naive. No, it's not that way everywhere with every team. Uh, it's weird. It should be, and it's counter, counterintuitive that it isn't, but there are situations where it's not. So I remember asking Sean McVay, why is that so important to you? And he said, well, first, I want to give them ownership on, on, on this. They're part of the process. We all have jobs here. And it, it, it works best when we're all on the same page and all that. He goes, but you know what the key to it all is or one of the keys? He's like, how am I supposed to know whether they're getting it if they can't really spit it out to me from their perspective? You know, right. he goes, I, can find, I, can, I know within minutes if a guy's getting it or not just by the way he's spitting it back to me. And if he's not spitting it back to me the way it needs to be spit back to me, in an understanding way where I know that this dude has a command, then I'm doing a bad job of teaching. I need to do a better job of teaching. And so it gave, it allowed him to understand where is this player in the learning process right now? Is he getting it? Right. Is he not getting it? And if he's not getting it, that's on me. And I got to figure out a better way to do it with him. Right. And this is the NFL. You know, I mean, a lot of these guys are top-notch players coming out of college. And the difference between college and the NFL is, you can not really know 100% what you're doing in college and get away with it. Yes. You know what I mean? Because you're just that much better than the person across from you. But in the NFL, they're the best of the best. All these guys have been the best player on their said team at some point in their life. So now you're, you know, you're in, a, in an elite club, and now you can't think. You can't sit there and, and, and jump the, the route the wrong way and, and then all of a sudden wonder why the guy caught the ball and is going for 80 yards and a touchdown because he's going to make that play. The quarterback's going to hit him on a dime, and he's going to take it to the house. Where in college, you might jump the wrong route, and then the quarterback overthrows the wide receiver. or the wide, You know what I mean? Because they're, yes. just not, they're not that good. That, you don't get away with that in the NFL. And that's, that's the welcome-to-the-league rookie moment. So that's what they've got to avoid. And, you know, from the coach's perspective, and we've talked about this before, is understanding how each 
player is absorbing the information. Uh, at, at, yeah. at the root of all of this, and you know this, Q, coaching is teaching. <laughs> That's exactly yeah. what it is. And everybody learns differently. Everybody absorbs information differently. Whether, you know, there's some guys that you show it to them on video, boom, they've got it. You put them up on the mm-hmm. chalkboard, boom, they've got it. Other guys you need to literally take on the field and walk it out with them and show them on the field. And, and, and a coach having the patience to understand the wherewithal, really, to understand I've got to be able to teach it all three ways. And I have to be patient enough to even if I have to repeat myself on the field after just doing it on the, uh, in, in the classroom, I have to be, show that patience. And I had a coach, he's now in Detroit, uh, Aubrey Pleasant, defensive backs coach uh, with, with, the, uh, with the Lions. And he would have, he told me, he goes, I have to tell my players sometimes, you have to be patient. Yeah, you got it in the classroom, but that doesn't mean your teammate got it. I, I have to show it to him on the field. So shut up and listen and be patient right. because I know that this might be the 10th time that you're hearing it, but show respect for your teammate because I got to get, he has to know it too. And so it's like right. this whole kind of combination of everybody understanding and being respectful of the process that is different for almost everybody on the team. I mean, it boils down to reps, and it doesn't matter if it's on-field reps, classroom reps, video reps, but it's always reps, 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 reps. The more reps you get, the more opportunity you're going to get to learn. And some guys, like you said, pick it up so quickly. But then even then, sometimes they think that they got it because they picked it up so quickly, but there's other parts that they can refine and get even better and or even help teach the next man next to them. So uh, I think, again, going back to Casey Hayward, I think that that's what he's there for. He's been there for so many reps under Gus Bradley, and so he, he gets it. Now, there might be a little wrinkle that's a little bit different than what Gus Bradley wants to do this year as opposed to what he did last year with the Chargers. But at least he's got the base of it. He knows where the root of it comes from, and there may be a different little branch that he goes down. So Casey Hayward can still lead, you know, help Trayvon Mullen. And that was one thing that I think stood out to me in a major way as well. You know, uh, Casey Hayward said the other day on SiriusXM that Trayvon Mullen reached out to him and said, hey, man, when you get into Vegas, I want to learn. I want to learn what you already know. That shows a guy that wants to be better than he was. And I, I like Trayvon Mullen a lot. I think he's going to be a good player. He just needs to take the next step, you know. And so I think that him reaching out to a guy, Casey Hayward, that's been there, done that, that's showing that he's hungry. That's showing that he wants to get better. He has the mental ca- capability of getting better. Now he just needs a little bit of side-by-side tutelage. And I, I, I thought that that was really good. Well, I'll tell you this. Uh, uh, Trayvon Mullen wants it, and he's very conscientious. I'm speaking from experience. Uh, whatever his ceiling is, he's going to get there because he cares uh, enough. And Q, what I really like right now for the Raiders is everything that you just said. The key now is, as opposed to this time last year, what they're learning in the classroom or on Zoom meetings, they're immediately taking to the field now. And it's yeah. one thing to know you know, when the offense comes out in 11 personnel or 12 personnel, uh, this is what your drop is when you're reading that guy. You know, it's the five steps, you know, uh, a five uh, drop step. It's one thing to know it. But it's a whole other thing to do it with 10 other guys around you and understanding the depth, where my safety is, where the uh, slot cornerback is, and seeing, seeing it for, you know, uh, from the offense's perspective as well. I know they're going to see that in training camp, but it's a whole other atmosphere in training camp. It's much more getting ready for the season in training camp. Like you, The season is barreling down on you at that right. point. There's really no time to be messing around. It is almost full. You're almost getting ready for the season day one. Right now, 
It's a nice, measured, calculated kind of learning, you know, but, but taking what you learned to the field immediately and, and, and being able to strengthen uh, and, and further the understanding by taking it to the grass. Yeah, exactly. I mean, right now you're still you're still putting the pieces together on that car that you've been fixing up. You know, you're still putting it together. But in training camp, it's almost like hey, it's the it's the Saturday before the car show. You know, what I mean, you're putting the you're putting the finished product, you're putting the wax on it, you're shining that thing up, you're making sure it's spotless, you're putting it on the back of the trailer hitch, and you're ready to to ride it out to wherever the car show is so you can show it off. Right now, it's still the building process. They are building it, they're working on continuity, and they're working on getting where they need to be and understand understanding the process of this whole situation and so uh, again it, it, it's very major and for them not to have that opportunity last year was just a, a, a bummer and we all knew it was going to be a bunch of bumps and bruises along the way and unfortunately towards the second half of the season the bumps and bruises became major and look we're not making excuses it is what it is like no. you said everybody dealt with it but there's a reason why the offense dealt with it better than the defense the offense was pretty a, a veteran offense save for a couple of guys and of course you had a quarterback going into his sixth year last year his third straight in the same system there's a reason why that side of the ball didn't feel the effects as much as the other side of the ball no excuses but it is reality listen joe in houston mitch in new jersey i know we got you on the line we're gonna get to you on the other side you're in the huddle vinnie bonsignor brought to you by tequila and Bajador. Interact with the show. Text Vinny at 69187 or tweet at him at Vinny Bonsignor. This is In the Huddle with Raiders beat writer Vinny Bonsignor on Raider Nation Radio 920 AM. Joe is in H-Town, wants to talk about the Raiders. How you doing, Joe? Vinny, how you doing, brother? I'm doing good, my man. Hey, man, keep ethering them, those guys on... uh. On uh, Twitter, it's funny. <laughs> I, you know, it's the Italian in me, man. It's the Italian in me. I just, I, 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 I gotta, I gotta show a little bit more discipline. My wife tells me all the time, but no, no, <laughs> not, not at all, not at all. You, you say something stupid, you're supposed to get eaten. That's what you I, know? you know what? That's how I grew up. That's how I grew up, man. That's how, that's that same way. I'm from Los Angeles. That's the same way it is. Nah. Uh, <laughs> all right, man. Thank you. Yeah, I called. Hold on one second. Mm. Uh-oh. Do what hold you got to do, man. We're here. Do what you got to do. You put us on hold? No, uh, I got you, Joe. I got you, Joe. I lost my... One second. All right. <laughs> Joe's got some technical difficulties in Houston. It's all good. H-10. Hey, Jenny, I'm back. I'm sorry. All right. What you got, got man? Yeah. I was calling... Yeah, I was calling because... Uh, Two things. I'm hoping that man, the Raiders, really take take it serious about going get a uh, um, Julio Jones. Uh, hmm. I know. Hmm. I, He's gonna I, get moved. Like I'm telling you right now. I don't do see. know this. Go ahead. Julio Jones in in a Raider uniform would would actually open up the offense tremendously. You won't be able to bracket. You wouldn't be able to bracket nobody in that offense. What That's would your what would your starting three wide receivers be in that situation then? So Julio, um, Henry, and Hunter. Yes, no, I actually I would go I would go Julio. It, 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 honestly and truthfully, I would take the approach that the, uh, the New England Patriots take. It's 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 based on the matchup that we're gonna play. The, um, it's based on the that we're gonna play the, whatever on uh, whatever uh, team we're gonna play. 
you know, you may go into a game where, hey, you got better outside guys than you do slot guys. Well, then you bring Hunter in. And then, you okay, you have better slot guys than outside guys. You can start uh, uh, Edwards or or uh, uh, or uh, Hunter. You can you play, know, Ruggs yeah. Ruggs is going to be in there, so, of course, because of the fact that he's going to take the top off the defense. Right. But I also wanted to touch on what I was just telling you, uh, your producer. You know what I, I'm tired of seeing? I want our young guys, honestly, to do like all these other young guys. Like, for instance, C.D. Lamb comes to come to Houston all the time and works with a guy called the Footwork King. Uh-huh. And if a lot of people ain't familiar with him, if you go on Twitter or you go on IG and you look at him, he works with people individually. Like, he took Xavier Howard and turned Xavier Howard to the all-pro that he, he turned out to be at the corner he played for Miami. Right. You know, because that guy worked his tail off all summer. CeeDee Lamb is religiously working with this guy about releasing off press, releasing off uh, off man coverage, knowing how to run a route precisely. And every time I, I go to IG uh, with with, with uh, uh, Ruggs, he's bowling or he's playing <laughs> Call of Duty. I have to say he's not working, but he is. I trust me, I, I do know that. that same type of approach. Like yeah. for instance, like I said about Jacobs. Jacobs comes from Alabama. His bet, the best running back from Alabama right now is, is Derrick Henry, and his workouts are, are legendary on, on, on IG and uh, uh, Twitter. Why is he not putting in the kind of work, that kind of work? Because I don't want those guys to get to, oh, okay, my contract is up next year. I, they picked up my fifth-year option. Now I'm going to start busting my tail. You know, yeah. I want them to – they should be busting their tail right now because they want to turn this whole thing around and get these Raider fans, including myself, what we deserve. No, I, I, I hear you. And it's it, and it, it just like I said, there should be no question that Keon Drake is going to get carries from uh, uh, Jacobs, but nobody should be talking about Keon Drake might get more carries because Jacobs not going to be healthy. No, he yeah, and uh, right, he right. Be taking that as a challenge, and every time you see this man, this man should be in somebody's gym, yeah. his tail. I hear you. I appreciate the call, that, Joe. Uh, that's just my opinion. Yeah, no, I hear you, and I and and I agree with you. I, I from what I hear anyway. Uh, these guys are putting in the work, and uh, I think I think the Kenyon Drake signing was uh, it's going to help both players get to yeah. the end of games, get to the end of season uh, as healthy as possible. The Raiders have aspirations of playing a long way, and remember, it's a 17 game season uh, now. It's exactly. 16 was tough enough, uh, so having two credible running backs, uh, I think, to push each other, complement each other, sometimes play in conjunction with each other in lieu of each other. Uh, it's just going to help the whole process. I'm not sure why Henry and, and Josh aren't putting everything on, on, on IE, IG like some of these other guys, but I wouldn't take that as a no. uh, indication that they're not working. These guys are working, and I know that firsthand. So um, I, I, one thing I'll give the Raiders a lot of credit for, especially with some of these young players, is these guys care about football. It's a huge thing. And Q, I know you know that it's important – that that be the case because not everybody cares about it the same way. I, I do believe that uh, Henry Ruggs and a Josh Jacobs uh, they care, and I, I wouldn't I wouldn't doubt for a second that they're putting the work in. Exactly, and I'll tell you, I wouldn't take a lot from what I see on Twitter or Instagram or what I don't see on Twitter or Instagram because that's not the whole story. That doesn't tell you everything. A lot of these times, these guys are work, working their tails off when nobody else is looking. And I always say, you put the most work in when their eyes aren't on you. You know, who who puts in the most work with, without the lights shining bright, without, you know, someone filming, without someone pushing you? Who's out there working right now on their own? I mean, there's a lot of guys that are doing that. So I, I, I would caution you not to really 
pay attention to too much what you see on Twitter and Instagram. When they put that stuff out there, it's because they want you to see that. That's that's it. I mean, that's bottom line. Just like when anybody puts anything on Twitter or Instagram, there's a lot, large portion of my life that I don't put on on social media for multiple reasons. You know, I just don't want it out there. I just don't need to put stuff out there. But stuff that I have to do that's, you know, Raiders-related or, or radio-related, I'll put it out there, and that's it. But, I mean, there's a large, large portion of my life that's not out there because it doesn't need to be out there, you know? So uh, I, I think these guys, I think one of the big deals with uh, Mayock and Gruden, the, the one thing that they do is go get guys that love football, not just love what football can do for them, but also love football in general, just want to be out there playing. Josh Jacobs, uh, Henry Ruggs, those guys, I believe they all love football, and they're all going to give everything they have. And, and I think Henry Ruggs, Learned a lot from his rookie year. You know, I think he learned a lot and realizes what he does well, what he doesn't do well, and what he needs to improve on so he can be a bigger factor in, in year two. I think that that's going to go a long way. And I'm really excited about Kenyon Drake being a part of the team. It's kind of looking at what Cleveland's doing with uh, Kareem Hunt and, and Nick Chubb. I mean, they don't never have a guy who's not a stud in the backfield. And now the Raiders have that same opportunity. They also have a guy that um, when they want to go up-tempo now, Yep. If he's on the field, um, you know, with let's say Josh Jacobs, uh, you don't have to necessarily sub out. You could just get on the line of scrimmage, put him at wide receiver because he's going to line up at wide receiver. Force the defense to keep up, create mismatches uh, because when you go up tempo and Q knows this. Part of what you're doing that for, there's a lot of reasons you're doing it, but one is to take advantage of what personnel grouping that team has on the field at that given time because it's hard, almost impossible, uh, to to sub out and to match up when it's an up-tempo situation. So if all of a sudden in the middle of a drive, here go the Raiders going up-tempo where they're lining Kenyon Drake up in the slot, out wide, uh, at running back, along with Josh Jacobs still being in there, it puts a lot of pressure uh, on the defense. Uh, Q, he mentioned Joe did, Julio Jones. I, I do believe Julio is going to get moved. I don't see how it can work uh, in Atlanta right now. He's owed too much money, and they need money desperately right. uh, under the salary cap. So... Keep an eye on June 1st. There's going to be some moves on June 1st. I'm not saying the Raiders are going to be involved, but I would imagine, knowing John Gruden and knowing the possibilities that a Julio Jones could bring to this offense, I would imagine he's inter- interested. Now, Q, he's, not, he's no longer a top-five wide receiver. Uh, we get that. But I don't think the Raiders need Julio. I mean, it would be great if he turned back the clock, but I don't think a team right. like the Raiders would need top-five Julio Jones. But if you start envisioning a Julio Jones with a Darren Waller and a Brian Edwards and a Henry Ruggs and a Hunter Renfro and everyone else that they have and all the other weapons that they have, it makes a lot of sense. Yeah, no, it does. And you never want to stop improving your offense. You know, even though you think that your offense is really, really good, and it was in 2020, uh, it could still be better, you know, and the Kansas City Chiefs proved that. As good as their offense is, they continue to improve it. And so Julio Jones, in theory, would be a, a nice addition. I just wonder how it would work if the Raiders were entertaining that because the reason why he'd be moved in Atlanta is money. The, the reason why he'd be moved is because of salary cap. Well, it's not like the Raiders are just blessed with a whole bunch of salary cap space, so what are they going to do? Is he going to restructure his deal? What would they have to do to make that fit? Not just give up draft capital, but how would they make it fit financially so it fit for the team and work for the team? That's really one of my biggest questions. They could always make it work. Um, I, you know, a restructure could definitely be part of the uh, of the equation. Uh, some of what 
would be coming back to the Raiders, especially after June 1st, um, changes, the dynamics change. So um, it might be easier at that point for a team like the Raiders to fit that salary, whatever salary would be left that's not owed by the by the, the Falcons. There's ways to make that happen. And I do think that he is going to get traded. And there's, there's, there's wiggle room for the Raiders, too. There's some positions uh, on the roster that, you know, could be positions of you might go have to go find a job someplace else, you know, because we need right. that money. We need that money. So just keep an eye on that. If if there was a player out there right now that you know you you start thinking about and envisioning of what this offense could look like and and who out there that's available can really take this thing or help take this thing to another level. I think of Julio Jones because that dude is if there if there's one thing right now that the Raiders are, are might be missing. Is just a polished technician guy yeah. that is just, I mean, he's a marvel watching him get open. Just a flat-out mar- marvel. And he hasn't lost that. I guarantee you he hasn't lost that skill. Um, no. And, and, and it wasn't that long ago, 2019, where he was doing his typical Julio Jones thing. And, he's, and, and count back from that point on, he's always done it. Last year was the only year in his career where he didn't put the 14 to 16 games out there. Right. No, and, and again, I mean, if you were to be a member of the Silver and Black, as far as wide receivers go, he's the best one on the roster. You know what I mean? Wide receiver. And I know Darren Waller's a tight end, but he, you know, he gets all the, all the attention, and he's the guy who's going to put up the numbers. But, I mean, Henry Ruggs hasn't proven to be the best wide receiver yet. Brian Edwards, he hasn't proven to be the best wide receiver. I think he has a, a lot of potential, but, it's, again, it's potential. Hunter Renfro, I like him a lot. I think he you know, finds ways to get open and make himself available for the quarterback, but I don't think he's the guy that a lot of the defensive coordinators are keeping themselves up at night saying, oh, I, how are we going to stop Hunter Renfro? If you add Julio Jones to the mix, again, in theory, it would be great, and, and I feel like he'd be the best wide receiver on the roster, and all of a sudden you make that, that offense that much more dynamic, and, and who do you double? You know, you can't double Ruggs when he's stretching the field. You can't double uh, Waller, which will open things up for him. And then Julio Jones, like you said, is a technician. I mean, he's a guy that can get open and, and, and make plays. He can go up and get the 50-50 ball. He's going to make himself available for the quarterback. He's going to get his feet inbound. I mean, there's a I can put a laundry list of stuff out there that he's going to do. Again, I just circle back to you got to find a way to make it work where it fits as far as financially go, and, and then you have to hope and, and kind of keep your fingers crossed that, that he's able to go for, you know, 14 to 16 games, 14 to 17 games this year, and, uh, you know, and it's not a repeat performance of what happened last year in Atlanta. This offense would be <laughs> unstoppable. Dynamic. Dynamic. Unstoppable. I'm telling you right now, yeah. unstoppable. If, if he comes correct, if he's healthy, it's an unstoppable offense when you start talking about Kenyon Drake, Josh Jacobs, uh, Julio Jones, Darren Waller. Brian Edwards and Henry Ruggs will will be good, <laughs> but right. you know they're playing now alongside just an unstoppable combination in uh, he, Darren Waller. Go ahead. He, he would be who Antonio Brown was supposed to be. You know what I mean? That sure-handed veteran that knows how to play the game, not only just from an athletic point of view, but also from a technician point of view where, yeah, you might not be the the, 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 the fastest dude anymore on the field, or you might be, not be the strongest dude on the field anymore, but you still know how to get yours and get open and still make plays. He would be who that guy was supposed to be, and it just didn't shake out. And I know most wide receivers have a little bit of diva uh, in them. I'm not going to, I'm not, I'm not speaking out of school, and Julio Jones has been known, you know, he, he can ruffle some feathers a little bit every once in a while. He's 
especially when it comes to his money, which we all get and understand. But he ain't no Antonio Brown when it comes to that. Right. Not even right. close. This dude is a pro's pro, and that would be pretty remarkable. And I would keep my eye on it because I, I think Julio Jones is, is headed someplace. You're in the huddle with Vinny Bonsignor and Q Myers, brought to you by Tequila Embajador. When we get back, Mitch and Gangster Raider. Gangster Raider. You're on notice, man. You know that. Uh, we'll get to you after the break. You're listening to Raider Nation Radio 920 AM. Now, back to your host, Vinny Bonsignor. Back out to the Raider Nation listener line. Mitch is in New Jersey. How you doing, Mitch? How's it going, Vinny? I'm good, brother. Uh, hi. Yeah, I don't, think, I don't think I give you too many tweets, but you must get uh, thousands and thousands of tweets a day, right? <laughs> Sometimes they get the best of me. Every time I try to pull back, they pull me back in. I can't help myself sometimes. I know. It just sucks you your you're in. You just keep reading and reading. Yep. Uh, what you got, man? I, think, I, don't, I don't want to rush the summer here, but it seems like oh, we have some team. We're definitely going to make the playoffs. Ooh. We don't have room for Julio Jones. What? I think I agree with you. What? I think we got you know the the, the wide receiver from um, Buffalo or Moore, John John Moore, right? He's good. Hey, by the way, oh, Vinny, bro. I think it's my phone. But um, it took a couple of uh, numbers. Uh, one of the wide receivers from Baltimore changing them to five, and a linebacker went number six. But I'm sure Derek Carr would not get that confused, you know, with with an offensive guy. I, and also. You think uh, Drake and Jacobs could um, hit a thousand yards rushing uh, this year? Are you saying both or together co- combined for sure? Oh, they both. Will. No, t- oh, both um, together. I mean, that'd be a disappointment. I'm going to bring Q in here, but I'm going to say uh, if, if 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 Josh gets the full seventeen, I'm going to say uh, eleven. 100 to twelve hundred yards for Josh Jacobs, and I'm going to say, knowing uh, how John Gruden likes to run the ball, I'm going to say about six fifty for Kenyon Drake and 30, 30, 30 receptions, maybe. What do you think, Q? Yeah, I, I, I think that's about right. I think that uh, Josh Jacobs will get the majority, and I think Drake's going to be used quite a bit in the passing game as well. So. Yeah, probably about – I think maybe he'll tap out at 800 rushing yards or total yards. I think Drake will get about 800 total yards, and Josh Jacobs will get about 1,200 rushing yards. So, yeah, and when and when you're thinking about, you know, all these various ways that you can use Kenyon Drake and, and uh, sharing the load with Josh Jacobs, if you could get that kind of production out of your running back position, uh, you're, you're, you're in good shape. And, and I think especially, you know, I, I think the Raiders cue the Raiders offense right now uh, is 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 very much where some of the fine tuning had to do also with obviously you want to get Josh Jacobs through this season healthy as possible you need a good sidekick for him in order to do that but but I also think in the game within the game they're also looking at situationally and I say that short yardage situations in the red yeah. zone trying to get you know turn more of those trips into touchdowns rather than field goals and the more kind of weapons that you have and the more opportunity that you have. Uh, to create mismatches in, especially, especially in a in a short shorter field, a guy like Kenyon Drake and and also I talked about Foster Moreau earlier can can really can really help. 
Yeah, absolutely. Once you get into the red zone, man, the, the field is shrunk, you know, and so the, the options that you have are, are less. And then teams know your tendencies as well. And the one thing that happened with the Raiders in 2020 is once they got into the red zone, and really particularly down by the goal line, teams knew their tendencies and knew what to cover up, and they did a good job of it. So forced Daniel Carlson to kick so many field goals that he broke a record. You know I mean? And that's not what you want. Nope. You don't want your field goal kicker breaking records unless it's extra points. And unfortunately for the Raiders, it wasn't. So now you have Drake in there. There's multiple things he could do. Josh Jacobs, you can keep him fresh. I mean, there's so many different options that you have. Uh, you know, and, and, you know, you mentioned Julio Jones. There's no room for him. That's another option that you could have down in the red zone. Even though he doesn't score a bunch of touchdowns, he still could be a factor and, you know, open up things for a guy like Hunter Renfro underneath or a guy like Darren Waller or, you know, someone else. There's, it just gives you that much. It's like a mental game. You know, it's, it's, instead of playing checkers, you're trying to play chess and you're trying to think, you know, one or two steps ahead, okay, once we get into the red zone, how are we going to attack this defense that thinks we're going to do this? They think we're going to run up the gut with Jacobs, but now we bring in Drake and we line him up, in, you know, in the slot. Now, hold on, now, now what's going on? You know what I mean? So you just want to make the defense think for a second because going back to the conversation we had earlier in the show, if they think, they lose. Yeah, and you have a, you have a quarterback who has now a master's uh, degree in this offense, yeah. And once he's at the line of scrimmage and, and, and his ability now to call games at the line of scrimmage, um, you know, uh, he's going to find the mismatches. Real quickly, we're going to go out to Gangster Raider. How you doing, Gangster Raider? I'm all right. And you? I'm doing good, I man. Wanna, I want to say what's up to Q and um, tell him, see how Scott's going. You know what I'm saying? Oh, yeah. You guys. And why is it? You hear that echo? No, oh, I don't. Okay. We got you, though. Okay. Okay, well, I just want to say I miss you, you and Scott. How's Scott doing? Is he okay? Yeah, yeah, he's doing good. He's doing well. Okay, cool. Well, I want to remember our discussion last year. I was talking about um, the points per game. That as long as we average thirty-one points per game, yep. we should be good. Do you know yep. how close we? How many points we average on offense, and how many points we allowed on defense? And do you think we can cut the points we allowed on defense down to twenty-four points this year? And let us keep the 31 point average on offense if we did have it. Yeah, that's the key. That's the key, really, is, is getting it. You, you got it. 24 points. If you can get to 24 to 21, you're winning a lot of those games. But unfortunately, the Raiders gave up 30 points a game, and so you're yeah. not going to win those games. <laughs> get, the, get it down to about 22, 23 points a game. And yeah. I think that the Raiders will be in the playoffs. 22, you know, obviously lower would be better. But if you could get that that uh, defensive game or, or scoring game uh, per game average down to 21-22, this Raiders team will be in the playoffs, I think, barring injuries. Uh, Q, thanks so much uh, for spending a, party or, or a big part of your uh, early evening uh, there in Texas with us. I really, really appreciate it. Thank you very much. Uh, thanks to the callers. Uh, thanks to Devon Cotton for holding down uh, the fort uh, and, and doing the great job that he does. Thanks to uh, all your list, all the listeners. Uh, we do this for you. Q, I really, really appreciate it, brother. Absolutely, man. Appreciate you having me uh, anytime. You know that. All right, man. Thank you very much. You're in the huddle with Vinny Bonsignor, brought to you by uh, Embajador Tequila. We're back at it tomorrow. Let's close it off on a high note Friday. And by the way, next week, phase three of OTAs begin. You know what? That starts 11 on 11, 7 on 7, 7 on 9. Real, actual football. You're in the huddle with Vinny Bonsignor, brought to you by Tequila Embajador. We will check you guys out tomorrow. Tomorrow. 